Well, good morning, my Mount Hora peeps. How are you guys doing? I said that in run through this morning and Linda Skipper was like, you have to say that during the service. So she's over here today. Linda, you're one of my peeps. All of you are. It is great to be in worship with you guys this morning. I'm Emma Murphy. I'm the Congregational Care Pastor here at Mount Horeb, and I am here to wrap up our series. Insert catchy title here, A Grab Bag of Spiritual Truths. And every time I watch that bumper, it makes me laugh because it just reminds me of how much I love our team. Some of you may know this, but we actually recorded that at separate times. So we all went into a room separately with the recording team and pulled those little pieces of paper out of a bag. So we had no idea what, you know, the other people were saying. And I actually went on the second day because I was down in Florence on the first day and literally walked in the room having no idea what I was doing. And so, you know, that my favorite question that we were asked is name all the books of the Bible. And every single one of us sang. They edited that out, except for Chad. And so, you know, I have to give a shout out to all of our children's pastors that taught us the books of the Bible. I won't make you sing any of those today. Don't worry. <laughs> this sermon series has been such a fun one because it's been really cool to hear our different members of the teaching team speak something that's really important to them. And I hope that you all have heard um, each of our passions in the weeks that we've preached because these are really important topics to us. You know, when I was brainstorming what I wanted to preach on this Sunday, Grace Maria and Trevor were like, you know, just preach something that's in your wheelhouse. And so when I started thinking about like my go-to sermon topics and my role here in congregational care, I remember I told Chad that I realized my wheelhouse was like the heavier topics, death, grief, suffering, anxiety, all things that I've gotten to preach on here at Mount Hora before. But the truth is like those things really are in my wheelhouse because they are the topics that I experience every day in congregational care ministry. And honestly, I don't think we talk about them enough from the pulpit. So sorry to say, but we are going to stick with this Emma theme of heavy topics, went, went, I know. And we're gonna talk about divine silence. The question, why is God silent? So it's going to be a really short sermon this morning because I'm still waiting to hear what God is going to tell me. <laughs> Y'all would like that, wouldn't you? Be the first people at the restaurants. Just kidding. In our lives, there are all different kinds of silence and especially different kinds of silence that make us uneasy. Like how about awkward silence? Like that, for example, right? Someone loses, you know, their train of thought, maybe in a sermon perhaps, or they tell a joke that they think is really funny and it's not. That happens to me more than I'd like to admit. Or how about like a sullen silence? Have you ever been in an argument with maybe a parent or one of your siblings or a spouse and it ends with one of you giving the other the silent treatment? A sullen silence. Or the worst of all, I think, is a despairing silence. This is often linked to times of tragedy. I remember where I was and what I was doing on 9-11, even though I was pretty young at the time. And if you were alive, you remember where you were too. We stood there as a country in silence, in shock, 
watching our TVs about what was going on, a despairing silence. Truth be told, silence can make us very uncomfortable because when there is complete silence, our brain, brains take us to you know, thoughts or places that noise often distracts us from. Silence can create you know, these feelings of anxiety or anticipation, and sometimes silence can even be alarming. Have any of you ever seen the movie A Quiet Place? Okay, one. We got one person. If you haven't seen it, you should, especially if you like thrillers. Truman and I are really into thrillers, and it's a great movie. It's brilliantly made because what it's based on is based on the idea that in order to avoid these mysterious creatures that are hunting humans, the humans must remain silent because these deathly creatures are triggered by sound. It's such an interesting concept for a movie because there's hardly any speaking or noise at all throughout the whole movie. And so as you're watching, as the viewer, that anxiety builds deeper and deeper as you get into the plot. But it's so true. In this world, we're used to constant noise, even if it's white noise. We get in our cars, what's the first thing we do? We turn on the radio to listen to music or the news or some talk show. At work, we're surrounded by voices, whether it's you know, your coworkers in the background or maybe it's just the copy machine printing. When you go out to a restaurant, there are conversations happening all around you, different families or friends enjoying their meal. I mean, even at night, we've gotten used to sleeping with some kind of noise. I know so many people that sleep with like a sound machine or Truman and I, we're guilty of sleeping with a box fan on, number one, because this blazing heat in Columbia is just so hot. But number two, because that white noise really helps me cut off my brain so that I can get some rest. Silence can be uncomfortable because it opens our minds to all kinds of worrisome thoughts that can creep in. Silence can be deafening. And so this is why when we're going through a season where God seems like he's not speaking to us, it can take us for a complete tailspin. But before we dig too much deeper into that topic of God's silence, I want to do like a little bit of an aside, a little mini sermon for you. Um, because some of you in this room today, or if you're watching online, you might already be a little bit confused by, by you know, that, that, that God is always silent in your life because you don't really understand what I mean when I say that God is speaking to us. And we could talk about that forever. That's a whole nother sermon. But if that's you today, I want you to know that our Father, our Heavenly Father is a creative God and he communicates to us in all different ways. He's not limited to one form of communication. We all hear the voice of God in different ways. You know, I've personally never heard like the audible voice of God, but some of you here may have. Or maybe God has speaking to you, speaks to you best when you open up the scriptures and you ingest the written word. Other times God may speak to you just from this profound sense of peace that comes over you and that you know like exactly what you're doing in that moment is the right thing. Sometimes God speaks um, by opening doors for certain opportunities and other times he speaks by slamming the door shut. God speaks through creation, through dreams, through other people, through prayer, through service, through worship, all kinds of ways. There's this passage in um, John's gospel from chapter 10, verse 27. And this is what Jesus says. 
My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Before Jesus went to the cross, he promised to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in and among us. And so as we grow in our faith, as we build deeper relationships with God, we've learned to be more attentive to his voice, how to discern his voice. And so if this is something you struggle with today, I'd love to talk to you about it. It is something I struggled with for a really long time in my faith walk, but that is too much of a sermon in and of itself. So now we're gonna get back on topic and talk about when you have discerned the voice of God, when you've heard God speaking to you before, and then all of a sudden he goes quiet, it's very concerning. It's even more difficult like when we come to church on a Sunday morning and everyone else around us, everyone else around us seems like, you know, they're hearing the voice of God. And then the pastor gets up here, you know, during prayer time and, and starts to pray or starts to pray and, and, and leads us through this service. And he's like, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is in this room. I can feel it. And you're just sitting there and you feel empty. Like total silence. You feel completely spiritually dry. And that's even more of a shocking blow. You know, maybe you've been praying for months for your marriage to get better. And it just seems like you're continuing to fight or you're fighting more. You've been trying for years to reconcile with a family member and you want nothing to do with you. You've been waiting for God to tell you what that next move in your career is. And there are crickets. Maybe you've been praying for a friend who has cancer to be healed and he just keeps getting sicker. When we feel like we are praying and not hearing answers or we're going through a difficult season like one of these and it feels like God has completely left us, that feeling of anxiety and concern and worry, it, it gets deep into our soul. It corrodes our joy and our hope and we start asking questions. Is God really listening? Does he even care? What did I do to deserve this? If you're feeling that way this morning, I want you to know first and foremost that you're not alone. I have experienced this a few times in my life and there are numerous people throughout history that have experienced seasons or multiple seasons like this. And it's not just you know, unbelievers or new Christians, but spiritually mature individuals, people that we consider spiritual role models in some ways. Like famous author and theologian, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed after the death of his wife, Helen Joy, um, after they had only been married three years. He writes his struggles with God's silence and saying, meanwhile, where is God? But you go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. And Mother Teresa, famous for spending her life caring for other people. She writes to a spiritual confidant at one point in her life, but as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but does not speak. And the scriptures, they're full of people crying out to God, wondering why he is silent. I think of Job calling out in the midst of all of his suffering and God is silent to him for many, many chapters in that book. 
Think about all the years that Abraham and Sarah waited after God told Abram he would make him a great nation. Before that promise was fulfilled, it felt like God was quiet forever. And I think about Jesus on the cross when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even the Messiah has experienced that silence and abandonment from God. Those words that Jesus cries out are an echo from one of the best examples in scripture where it seems like God is silent. King David. Psalm after Psalm, David laments, questioning where God is and if God is actually speaking to him. David, a guy that is described as a man after God's own heart, had serious times of questioning whether God was actually speaking to him or not. And in Psalm 22, this is what David exclaims. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Psalm 22 begins with this agonizing prayer of David. His experience of feeling completely neglected by God. And this verse includes like repetition of this first phrase, my God, demonstrating these intense feelings of misery toward a God that he has a deep relationship with. You see, this is, this is personal. How could God, who David knows and trusts, remain silent? And these questions seem to have like an element of surprise to them. How could God abandon me, David, your servant? What did I do to deserve this? David's lament in Psalm 22 provides a great understanding for how we sometimes feel in our spiritual life. We have a relationship with God. We've experienced his goodness and his deliverance. So this dramatic silence that we are experiencing from him is even more devastating. And maybe David's lament isn't like our exact words that we use, but they're close. And like David, a lot of times when we are going through a season of silence, there seems to be no explanation for it. So why is God silent? Now, there are numerous things that we could talk about this morning, but there are three um, explanations that I would really like to dig deeper into because I find that these three are the most often true when we are experiencing a season of God's silence. The first is God's silence is often a catalyst for spiritual growth. Sometimes I believe God is silent so that we will desire him more, so that we will long for a deeper relationship with God. And maybe that sounds counterintuitive, but let's look at a real life example for a moment. I read this week about how trees respond in a drought. And Pastor Jeff told me that this is also true of, of grass. And so if Pastor Jeff said it's true, then it's gotta be facts. <laughs> but anyway, when a tree is in a season of, of, um, of drought, they actually send their roots deeper and deeper. And for some trees, this means that they're shooting hundreds of feet and going through different rock cracks in order to find a source of water. This is vital for their survival. And the deeper a plant's roots are, they are better suited during these dry times. And so I believe the same is true of our relationship with God. In Psalm 63, which is 
another Psalm of David where he's lamenting and, and feeling like he's not hearing the voice of God, he finds himself in a season of physical and spiritual distress. Most commentaries agree that this psalm is written after um, David escapes to the Judean desert to avoid this rebellion his son Absalom was leading against him. And so David and his loyal followers, they flee to the wilderness to avoid their enemies. And while he's there, he, he writes, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So this Judean desert is obviously very hot and dry. So we can, we can imagine the, the physical hunger and, and the physical thirst that David is experiencing. But that's not what this psalm is about. Instead, David once again cries out to God for spiritual longing. He thirsts for God in the wilderness. And he's wondering where God is in the trouble that he is enduring. And so he goes on to say in Psalm 63, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David begins this psalm with thirst, but he concludes it with satisfaction. And so perhaps God was quiet. God allowed David to be thirsty so he would seek him even more. And maybe the same is true for us. Maybe right now we are in a season where God seems silent, a season of spiritual drought and is an invitation for growth. Maybe God is taking a step back so that we will take a step forward so that our roots will grow deeper and deeper in him. It is so much easier to be obedient to God when we can clearly hear him speaking to us. But the thirst, the pain, and the ache that comes when God is silent, maybe that's what propels us to strengthen our relationship, to have deeper obedience and greater dependence on God. Next, God's silence might be preparation for something new in your life. My senior year of college, I heard God very clearly tell me that I needed to pursue a seminary degree. I'm not, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with that degree, but I figured it would be something in academics or teaching and definitely not in the local church. So I tried to be obedient and that year I did a lot of research on seminaries, I did a lot of visits and eventually I decided on Duke Divinity School. And so I found an apartment and roommates and I packed up all my bags to head to Durham, North Carolina for a three-year master's degree. But it wasn't too long after I arrived in Durham that it felt like God had completely ghosted me. Why was I here? What was I doing? And I'm not gonna lie to you, it was one of the darkest times of my life, a time where I didn't really even know who I was and a time that felt really lonely, a time that felt like God didn't really care. And I would recognize like little sounds of his voice occasionally, but it was about two years later that I really felt like I heard God's voice again. I was doing um, clinical pastoral education here in Columbia, actually, at the Prisma Hospitals, um, serving as a chaplain for the summer. 
we had to set spiritual goals for ourselves that summer. And one of mine was to be in tune to how the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And that he spoke. In my visits to um, different people who were really sick in the hospital, to those who had newborn babies, to those who ended up in the trauma bay after a terrible accident and I was on call in the middle of the night, God spoke. God finally spoke to me. After two years of silence, God spoke. And he said to me, I have been preparing you all of this time. I haven't abandoned you. I've been preparing you for something new. You aren't called to academic ministry, but you are called back to the local church to serve and care for the flock. Through God's silence, he was laying the groundwork in preparation for this new calling. It was so hard to see that when I was in the middle of his silence. But as I look back on that time in my life, I can see the ways that he was working all the way through. You know, when we take a look at the structure of the biblical canon, we witness something fascinating. We, we have the Old Testament, which consists of, you know, 39 books from Genesis to Malachi, discussing the relationship of God with the Israelites. And then we have the New Testament that contains 27 books, and that talks about the story of Jesus and the church. And so the Old Testament goes from creation to about 400 BC, and then the New Testament picks up in the first century AD. So if I did my math correctly, which I'm not great at math, it's about 400 years between those two. And so this period is often known as the intertestamental period or the 400 years of silence, 400 silent years, 400 years of God's people not hearing from him, 400 years of waiting. I can imagine that felt like an eternity. And so what was God doing during this time? Was he, was he sleeping? Was he ignoring them? No, he was laying the groundwork to speak something even more revolutionary and powerful. During this time, the political and religious and social atmosphere of Israel completely changed. God's people faced oppression and defeat and great challenges to their faith. They were very low in hope. And so they were ready for someone to rescue them. And additionally, during this time, things like roads were built, there was a common language, and there was decent freedom to travel. And so all of these things were God's working and preparation. He was laying the foundation for the arrival of who? Of Jesus, the Messiah. His long pause was preparing for the Savior of the world to enter the scene and for the spreading of the gospel message. In a podcast I listened to this week, the pastor explained this so well. He said this, perhaps God is inhaling in silence because he's about to speak something new into your life. The days, weeks, months, years, maybe centuries like the Israelites waited might just be God taking in a deep breath to prepare your heart for what he has next for you. And finally, and this is probably the toughest one to swallow because it is usually the one that is especially true in our world today. God's silence might be a sign that we aren't really listening. That there might be something in our lives 
that is tuning the voice of God out, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally. In Gospels Matthew, Jesus encourages um, a group of people that he's speaking to, whoever has ears, let them hear. He tells them to pay attention to the words that he's speaking because they're important. But how often do we let things get in the way of hearing the voice of God? Are there things in our life that are blocking our hearing? Now, maybe you're too distracted by the chaos of life. It seems like my to-do list gets longer every single week, and I don't even have children, so I can only imagine what it's like when you have kids. But are you too distracted by what's going on in your life to spend quiet time with God? Are you too busy with chores and work and pleasures to listen to him? Or maybe you're too preoccupied listening to all the voices in the world. You're enthralled with the voices of politics, of culture, of social media, or maybe even some family and friends to make out God's voice. Who are you going to for counsel? Are the voices in your life drawing you closer to God or are they pushing you further and further away? Or perhaps there's something in your heart that is blocking your hearing. You know, it's important for us to be in tune with our bodies. And so is there something deeply wrong in your heart today that is tuning God's voice out? Are you living and engaging in a life of unconfessed sin? Are the decisions you're making today distancing you from our Heavenly Father? In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, there's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and, and maybe you all have heard this as well. It's the story of a man named Elijah. And the chapters leading up to 19, Elijah had just experienced this amazing victory over the prophets of Baal. But it was not too long after that victory that he finds out that Jezebel, who's a worshiper of Baal, wanted him dead because he had invoked Yahweh to completely wipe out all these false prophets. So Elijah ends up in the cliff of a mountain, very depressed, not wanting to live any longer. And he's told to go stand on the mountain because the presence of the Lord is about to pass by. And so as Elijah stands there, this powerful wind tears the mountains apart, but he says that the Lord is not in the wind. And then there is an earthquake, but Elijah again says that the Lord was not in the earthquake. Next comes a fire again, the Lord was not in the fire. And finally, he hears God. And how? Through a gentle whisper. Here's the hard truth this morning. Just because we aren't hearing God doesn't mean he isn't speaking to us. Like the story of God, or the story of Elijah, God doesn't always speak in this, you know, boisterous voice, or he doesn't use a megaphone to tell us what he wants us to know. Many times God is communing to us, communicating to us in that small whisper, that still small voice. So are there things today that are making it impossible for you to make out his voice? Are you slowing down enough to hear that still small voice of God? Maybe this morning, one of these explanations really resonated with you and you're thinking, okay, well, what now? You know, what do I do when it seems like God is silent in my life? 
So if you're going through a period of silence or if you've gone through a period of silence before, you know how this feels. Here are some practical things that I wanna give us to help us work through a hard season like that. The first is to open up your heart and be completely honest with God. Chad preached a few weeks ago about how lament is worship in a minor key. If you have not heard that message, you need to go back and listen. It's really, really good. So I'd encourage you today to cry out to your heavenly father, just as we read David did in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. God can handle our tears. He can handle our questions. He can handle our emotions. He wants to hear from our hearts. He wants to know that we want and need to hear from him. So be honest with him and trust that he is listening. Two, let the trustworthy, God-fearing people in your life help you listen for God's voice. I purposefully use the word trustworthy here because there are plenty of people that are in your life that you probably shouldn't go to when you are experiencing a season of silence and you probably know who those people are. But when you're going through a dark season where God seems quiet, those dependable family members or friends or mentors, they can speak encouragement and joy into your life, reminding us that, that we are not alone reminding us that God is still good even now. Number three is remember that God has spoken before. In the times where it feels like God is being silent, think back to the times that you have heard God speak to you before. Or if that seems impossible right now, open up the scriptures and read about all the times that God has spoken to his people. You know, David's words in Psalm 22, they begin with that agonizing prayer. But as they continue, they shift as he remembers God's faithfulness to those in the past and in his own life. He says this, In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And he continues, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. God was faithful then, and he is still faithful now. And fourth, finally, and I think most importantly, cling to the truth that God's silence is not his absence. It sure feels that when God is being silent in our lives that he has deserted us. And he's completely taken us off his radar. But that's just, it's just simply not true. Promise after promise after promise in the scriptures, we are told that God is with us. That the Lord goes with us wherever we go. That he will not leave us nor forsake us. Like David, we, we lament and we cry out when God is silent. It's agonizing and hurtful to go through seasons like that. But God is here. God cares for us. And I promise you that God is working in your waiting. Today, it may feel like God's silence is deafening and that's scary. But I want to share a quote with you that I read this week by Henry Nouwen um, in his book, The Way of the Heart. He talks about reframing these seasons of silence. And this is what he writes. 
In our chatty world, silence has become a very fearful thing. Our task is to gently and carefully convert empty silence into a full silence, anxious silence into a peaceful silence, and the restless silence into a restful silence, so that in this converted silence, a real encounter with the loving Father can take place. Today, church, that is my hope and my prayer for all of us. That when we find ourselves in a season of empty, anxious, or restless silence, that God in his mercy and kindness will transform it into a full, peaceful, and restful silence so that we can experience a real encounter with a loving father who cares about us so, so much. And so I want to end this message this morning in silence, in silent prayer. And then Caitlin is gonna come out and sing this beautiful prayer over us. And so maybe during this silent period, you come to the altar and pray, to cry out to God, to ask to hear from him. Or maybe during this time of silence, you exude thankfulness for how God is speaking to you right now. Maybe during this moment of silence, there are some things that you need to confess. There is sin that's weighing heavy on your heart this morning and you need to profess those things to our Savior. Or maybe during this time of silence, you block out all the distractions and even maybe for just a brief moment, you you listen intently for that gentle whisper from your Heavenly Father. Let's pray.